Pray with me, Father in heaven. As we get into your word, I pray that not just the Holy Ghost boldness, that sounds good to my spirit, but what I really need is a word that cannot be moved. What I really need, Father, is your eternal word that would overcome every temporal thing in my life. And so, God, as we break into this word, I ask you, first, ready my heart. Prepare me to be the, the person that you desire for me to be. But then I pray, God, that you would not allow this word just to stay within us, God, and hide it in the ground. But I pray that it would transform us to the degree, God, that it would impact somebody else because we got to share it. And so would you do that in our life, Lord? Make us ready to not just receive, but to give this word as well. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of y'all looking forward to Christmas? <laughs> oh, I can tell y'all work at Hobby Lobby too, don't you? My goodness. Walked in a Hobby Lobby. I said, what happened to, what happened to all them other um, holidays we have, like Thanksgiving and uh, fall or whatever? You know, there's some fall stuff in there. But uh, we're already at Christmas. Have you ever bought a, kif a gift for a kid? And as you bought a gift for their kid, you, like a, a birthday party, you go to a birthday party and um, everyone buys, you know, this person a gift for the kid, but then there's their smaller brother or sister and we got to get a gift for him too, right? We got to get a gift. Have y'all done it before? Why do y'all do that? Why do y'all buy another gift for the kid who's not being celebrated that day? Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important is because you know that that kid has a covet problem. You all know that we struggle with coveting, right? I remember one time, I remember one time we, were, we had Christmas, and uh, Kaylee was real young, and we all, uh, we all got watches uh, one Christmas, and I opened up my watch, and the girls opened up their watch, and Julie got a watch, and, and Kaylee was just like, you know, and Kaylee, she had all these gifts, right? But she was like, what? is happening here like you know where where is my watch at you know and she wouldn't enjoy the watch we had anyway but there's something inside of us at a young age we realize we ain't saved all the way just yet there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in our life uh, that we run through and the, the funny thing is is that even though kids can naively covet some of us adults still do that and so uh, we're going to talk today about the last commandment and that is, thou shalt not covet a lot of things. It's not just coveting, it's, it's coveting quite a few things. It's the most descriptive command that we have yet. And so if, if I just want to say this, if you have survived not breaking any of the other nine commandments, the tenth one, gotcha, gotcha. Because I guarantee you there's not one person, unless you just skip childhood altogether, did you skip uh, coveting. We all have been there. Read with me Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. <clears throat> I do apologize for my voice. It'll get better here in just a bit. Verse 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Notice it did say, you shall not covet, period. It said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. No scripture did not say you could not covet. It just simply you can't covet what's not yours. 
You can covet what's yours. You can desire what's yours all day long. But you can't cover, covet what's not yours. And so, <clears throat> I feel like we're going through puberty this morning. Uh, so to covet as defined by the Ten Commandments is simply this. It's a passionate longing to possess something that is not yours. When I say covet, I am saying a passionate longing to possess something that is not yours. And so there is no condemnation to desire what is yours, but you cannot desire what is your neighbor's this morning. There are three categories in case you said, Pastor Scott, I'm not coveting somebody else's house. I'm not coveting their wife. I'm not covering their donkey or their mule or their, um, uh, or I, learned, I learned up here, I thought it was a, I thought it was a honky because it looked like a horse and looked like a donkey at the same time. But they tell me it was a pack mule. So y'all know where I'm from. I'm not from around here when I say it's a honky. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's a pack mule. Don't cover that either. <laughs> uh, and, don't, and don't cover his servant or his livestock. There's three categories. Those categories are simply this. It's possessions. Don't cover his possessions. Don't covet that. Hopefully you, you're not doing that and, and, and right along with it because you know, we've, we've driven by houses before and thought, that's a nice house. Oh, I like that house. I can have that house, Lord. I feel like I prayed those prayers not too long ago. I might be a little guilty right there. Uh, but the one thing I did not pray was, Lord, that's a nice wife. Can I have one of those? I didn't pray that prayer. I'm good on that one. Uh, adultery <laughs> would be the, the result of that. But then he says this. He says, not to cover the livestock of the servants. You see, we've already addressed this matter of possession and people. So what does the commandment address here? What he's saying is, is that don't address or don't covet your people's or your neighbor's productivity, how productive they are, their servants, or whether it be their, their, uh, um, their livestock. All those things are productivity. We see those things translated in different ways in our life. That could be a position that someone has at the, the job, their talents, their gifts, whatever, whatever enables them to be more productive in life, we are to not passionately long to possess. And one reason is, is even if you end up taking what you coveted, which is called stealing, you'll never be satisfied with it anyway. And you'll continue the cycle of coveting and stealing until eventually it destroys you. One person who knew all too well about coveting things and then possessing them was King Solomon. He tells us this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Because this also is vanity. But can I tell you the world doesn't want you to think that way. In fact, companies pay really, really good money to expose that covetous heart inside of you, right? Because they want you to think that that what you have is not enough, that you should have something more. And for them to do that, they are going to bring some contrast. They want you to compare your life against another person's life E-Trade ran several commercials that was very successful, and their commercials stated, don't get mad, get E-Trade. And um, they implied, don't let your covetous heart uh, ruin your life. Instead, gratify it by trading stocks and give yourself the desiring of your heart. Watch this video. You'll see what I'm talking about. He is your new brother-in-law. You like him. He's one of those guys who always smells good. His five o'clock shadow is always at five o'clock. You like him. Your mom says he's done really well for himself. He has stocks and bonds. 
Your dad wants to go fishing with him. Your dad doesn't even like fishing. You like your brother-in-law, but you'd like him better if you made more money than he does. Don't get mad at your brother-in-law. Get E-Trade. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. Get E-Trade. And that's where our <laughs> life is hard enough by itself. Now we got media trying to produce in us a covetous heart. And, and I guess life gets even more hard because social media have these people called influencers. And these influencers will tell you what you should be wearing, what you should be caring for, and who you should be marrying. Uh, and so today, thankfully, God's word is here to aid us, walk us through this world. And so I want to talk to you about this morning about the cons of covetousness. There are three cons of covetousness. They are the concern of covetousness. That's God's concern for what coveting does to his people. Then there's the conclusion of covetousness, and that is our conclusions that we have to make uh, to have a covetous heart. And the third one is the consequence of covetousness, and that is the words warning and, and remedy also in regards to the consequences of covetousness. So let's start with the first one. The concern of covetousness. God's concern for what coveting does is found the fact that he understands this. That this command is so significant because if you can keep ten, if you can keep number ten, you can keep one through nine. For you to break any of the nine, you had to first break number ten. So, so coveting deals with the heart's desire to place above his word other things. As I said earlier, Jesus, uh, he, he brought this power of the commandment to life when he said, if a man in his heart, then he's already, we remember that, right? And so this is where this commandment comes from, to look after your heart. We know that Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? So it does not say the sinner's heart. It says that your heart, my heart, is desperately sick. The Christian's heart struggles as well. And perhaps um, mostly one of the issues that we struggle with in Christianity because we live in American culture is greed and materialism. Greed, as we spoke on last week, is, is at the core of the concern for this commandment because greed is the need of wanting more of what you do not have. It becomes covetous. When you want it, when what you want belongs to someone else. And the, and the problem with greed and covetousness is when they come together, they, they create a mindset. And that is, is that it sets you against people. Coveting in the form of greed sets against us against other people. Because, see, they have the stuff that you want. And now they become the challenge that you go after. They, they, they change your worldview from that Philippians 2, 3, right? Do not count yourself more significant than others, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And so now we're changing that worldview from counting others more significant to counting ourselves most significant. And we're willing to impose harm on people to get what we want because who cares about them anyway? It's all about us. We saw the same principle at, at work in David's life, King David's life. He didn't care that he had to go kill Uriah so long as he had Bathsheba. And this is what it does in our life when we covet and pair that with greed. The second thing is materialism. Materialism is, is, is a major concern. Um, but let me tell you that materialism is not, the con is not the concern for how much stuff you have in your life. Some of y'all said, oh, Pastor, I got a lot of stuff in my life. That's not what we're talking about. 
I'm not, I'm not talking about how rich or how abundant, how many blessings you have. Materialism is the concern for the priority of stuff you have in your life. The Lord made plenty of people rich in the Old Testament. Uh, Jacob and Solomon and uh, Job. So that's not the issue here. The issue is, is where is the priority that you place on that stuff? We see that in the parable of the rich fool uh, in Luke chapter 12. There is a story where Jesus is telling here, and he says, there's a, there's a rich man whose land has produced a lot of good stuff. But he had a problem in that he didn't have enough barns to, to handle all of his prosperity. So he tore his barns down. And after he tore his barns down, he said to himself in verse 19, So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Now relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's a very important statement there. The Lord didn't say you can't have treasure for yourself. He says if you have more treasure than you have richness towards God, we got a problem. So being rich in this world is not uh, um, a problem, but being not rich towards God is the case of materialism. In fact, Luke 15, uh, 12, 15 says this specifically. Here's what it says. And it said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Our life, our significance is not found in what we own. We know that. But materialism is the sin of allowing the physical to take priority over the spiritual. When we look at our life, we have to ask ourselves, is there anything in our life that we find significance in that really gives us an identity about who we are? How do you know if this is you? How do you know if you're suffering from this particular uh, situation? I would ask you this, is that if you lose your stuff, do you lose your significance? Do you lose you? If you lose your friends... Do you lose your significance? Do, if you lost your job, do you lose your significance? If I lost my church, would I lose my significance? Those things that we feel give us some kind of a stage in life or, or some kind of understanding or influence, we have to ask ourselves, is that what we see ourselves to be in? Do we find identity in those things? Because here's what I know from talking to people who have, I know who have had stuff what I understand is that more stuff, more relationships, and more power almost always equals more misery. That's what I know by talking to rich people. I'm not one of those. But I know that as I've talked to them, that more stuff also comes with more misery, more pills, more medicine, more doctor's visits, more therapy, all those things we have to deal with because all of our stuff. And I'm sure there are some people in this room today that can tell you that more stuff equals more problems, and more problems equals more misery. The point of this commandment was simply this, is that God was trying to keep us from destroying ourselves. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10. He's trying to show us some principles here. Again, stuff is not the issue, but the priority of that stuff, coveting that stuff, wanting more of that stuff, wanting others' stuff is a problem. And so he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire, 
who desire to be rich in, and fall in temptation um, into a snare, into many senseless, unharmful desires. That, that, that is, the desire to be rich introduces us to greater desires that are harmful. We see that in celebrity life, right? They, they get to places, they get exposed to opportunities, they begin to build uh, certain desires, and those desires to be rich and to be famous introduce them into other senseless and harmful desires. We see that. And then the word goes on to say that these people plunge into ruin and destruction every time. This is the, this is the truth. For the love of money is a, not the, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice this. In the scripture, here's what we see. Is that it affected Christians. Then it will affect Christians now. The thing is, is that we all, we think of that, we think that, that's someone who's living worldly and wild, doesn't know who Christ is. But Paul very clearly says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. They were here, but now they're not here. Why are they not here anymore? Because they cast their cares and they cast their needs and they, they embrace misery because they thought the stuff was better than the person who gave the stuff. And so it caused them to wander from the faith. But notice this as well. He's not condemning having it, but he is condemning loving it. And there are two separate things. You say, Pastor Scott, I don't love that. I don't love it. I just need to have it. <laughs> it's two different things. Well, you may, lay awake, you, may, you, may awake, you may lay awake at night, and you may fantasize about it, and you may spend all your energies about it. Do y'all remember what it was like when you first met your spouse and all you could think about was him or her, and it consumed everything about you, that's what we call love. And if you are in that same vein of infatuation, you are in love with it. We know our love for stuff is unhealthy when we compromise our spiritual priorities to have it. So how do you know you compromise your spiritual priorities? Let me give you some suggestions about how that might happen. Does our devotion with God suffer because we're too tired to get up in the morning after spending all night to pursue it? Does our church attendance suffer because we have too many things on the schedule in pursuing it? Does our worship feel empty because our minds are too fixated on the things that surround it, leaving us unable to focus on the one who gave us it? Does our prayer life seem powerless because we spent all the willpower that we needed to pursue it instead of our pursuit of the one who gave it? These questions are tough, but Paul wants us to understand a few things. Number one, Paul understands what coveting is like himself. Paul says, you know, when it came to the law, I kept it all, but then I ran into this thing called coveting, and it messed me up. Romans 7, 7 through 8, he says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what is to covet the law, and had not the law said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, the sin, uh, sin lies dead. So without the law revealing this in us, we're left to our own conclusions. We don't know. We don't realize the things that are at work in us. Because the heart of a covetous person must uh, make some conclusions as we venture down this road. So what are the conclusions of covetousness? First off, you should know that guarding our hearts against covetousness is trusting God for what's mine so I don't have to long for someone else's. That's what you need to know. 
that guarding our hearts against covetousness is simply this. Trusting God for what's mine, that what he has given me is enough for me. And I don't have to long for somebody else's. Because the heart of a covetous person says, I can't trust God for what I need, so I look at the possessions, the people, and the productivity of others of what I do need. Because I can't trust what God has. And so basically the covetous person is simply saying this. He's saying that God is, God is holding out on me. God knows what I need. God saw what he needed and he gave it to him. But he sees what I need and he's not giving it to me. And so since I don't have what I know I need to have, God is holding out on me. So therefore, covetousness makes you say God made a mistake. That's a big implication right there for us. Even though we don't want to admit that, but oftentimes we look to our neighbor and we see what they have and where they're going and what they're doing. And then we say this, now, Lord, I live better than they do. I know what they do. And I'm really trying to pray and get my Bible in. And I'm trying to go to church and try to listen to pastor preach 45 minutes every Sunday. And that's all good. So where's my blessing at, Lord? Where's my blessing at? Because if you really were a God who cared for me and knew what I needed, I would have right now what that person already has and has not earned. But the fun thing is the word says this, Psalms 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. You need to highlight that in your verse, in your Bible. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. When you get into a real firestorm with your situation with God, you need to come right back to it and say, Lord, here's what you said. Uh, um, can, 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 the, can the court please be quiet? You said, Lord, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And then give him opportunity to say, yeah, let me define what walk uprightly means. Are we walking uprightly? Let me just say this by, by, by a side conversation. The Lord does not act contractually with us. We are in covenants, not contracts. It's not what I do and then he does. Thank God it's not what I do and then he does. We would miss it. But it is a covenant relationship we have with him. And that even if I don't, he still is faithful to what he said he would do. And so he says this, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so here's what I want you to know is that the good thing we want is when we're walking uprightly, but walking uprightly is a lifelong journey. It's a journey you're taking in your life. It's a process that we take, and many of us, I know I have for sure, wanted to skip the process. I want to skip the process. I don't want the process. I want the product. That's why we made fast food restaurants, Lord. We don't do process around here. I need the product. But you must understand something with God is that just because you have provision, that's what God gave you. How many cooks are in the house? Y'all know how to make stuff from scratch. Not, not TV dinners. Don't raise your hand for TV dinners. Can you make stuff from nothing, basically? And so you know that just because you have provision in your closet or in your cabinet or in your rotary, whatever you have, you know, that you store stuff in. Just because you have provision does not mean that you have product. Because we still got to watch you go through the process while we're hungry. <laughs> because we're like, Mom, is the food ready yet? Mom, is dinner ready yet? And it's funny because we're going through the process while Julie's trying to get things done. But here's what I want you to know. Is that provision is not the same as product. It's a different thing. 
Provision is the opportunity to work so I can pay my bills, product, put food on the table, product, have health insurance, product. But work is the process. The Lord's promises in the Bible are always in regards to his provision, not his product. That's because your God is a God who loves the process. Hear me, God loves the process. Just because you have provision does not mean you have product. The distance between provision, what God has said in his word, and product is the process. Let me give you an example. Abraham's son Isaac was the provision God asked for a sacrifice. Abraham walking with his son up the mountain, tying him up, ready to burn him as a sacrifice, was the process. But the product was God stopping him, giving him his son, bringing a, 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 a sacrifice, and then multiplying his seed as the stars in the heaven and as numerous as the sands on the shore of the beach. That was the product. Jacob had 12 sons. They would become tribes of Israel. But Joseph, the 12th son, was the son who would go through the process of being sold into, sold into slavery, held in the pit for three years before being elevated to the second highest command. So the provision of God's word concerning blessing Jacob was his sons. He gave him his sons. But the process was losing Joseph and going through his trials. But the product was the, pres the preservation of God's people in Egypt. There was also another one that you are more familiar with in terms of provision and process and product. Provision was for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's provision. Uh, the process is who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's process. But product is but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus now that's product anytime you want the product without the process you want Christianity but not the Christ you want the gain but not the God you want the healing but not the healer you want the joy but not the Jesus you want the life, but not the Lord. You want the manna, but not the Messiah. You want the miracle, but not the maker. You want the provision, but not the provider. You want the influence, but not Emmanuel. You want anointing, but not Alpha. You want overflow, but not Omega. You want kingly kids, but not kingly commands. You want the testimony without the test, the power without the patience, the power of, of, of the Joe without the job. You want the mate, but not the marriage. You want the crown, but not the cross. And while I'm at it, I want the church, but not the challenge but can I tell you this that not even the promise came without the process your God is a God who loves the process because the process is walking with God in the cool of the day that's what your God loves he loves the process so don't be angry that the product's nowhere in sight stand upon your provision the word of God and say Lord where are we going today where are we going today in this process and I'm almost done because my voice is about shot. <laughs> the consequence of covetousness is this, is that there is a problem that it leads to that is very damaging. Colossians 3.5 says this, that, that if you, 
that you're put to death, therefore, that what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, now we got a real problem here. we got a real problem here. Before, you were just one other people's stuff, but now, now you're an idol worshiper, which means we just broke commandments one and two that deal directly with the relationship with God. And so the issue now becomes that if we have another God, we can't have this God. That's a, that's a real big problem in terms of our materialistic mindset. Because now coveting, coveting now stands between God and your blessing that you're so eagerly desire. Because you don't think really that this other God is going to give to you what you think that you need. That's not possible. And so we're standing a lot of times in the way of our own blessing because we're spending all our time to get something that belongs to someone else and keeping God from giving us what he desires for us. So what's the problem or what's the answer to the problem of covetousness? Hebrews 13.5 says this. It says to keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Did you see the answer there? That the answer to a covetous heart is contentment with God. But specifically, he says this. Don't covet uh, love, money and, and keep your life free from those things. Be content with what you have. And the reason why you can do those things is because I said I'd never leave you or forsake you. I said I'd never leave you or forsake you. So since contentment with God is the answer to a covetous heart, contentment has to do with his presence not his product. I want you to hear this because so many times we are grading God's answering our prayers by our product. And the Lord says, what are you talking about? I gave you my presence. What else would you want? Do you know what you would have if you didn't have my presence? Do you know that one day many people will spend all of eternity without my presence? Do you know what I'm telling you when I told you I will never leave you nor forsake you? I am giving you my presence. And God is saying you're going to be okay with what you got. Because regardless of what you have or you don't have, you got me. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And so there is a logical flow of being content. Here's what you need to know. If you don't believe he's with you, you're not content. And if you're not content, then you're covetous. If you're covetous, then you're an idolater. If you're an idolater and God won't fellowship with other gods, and so since God won't fellowship with other gods, then that leaves you discontent because he's not with you. And you're discontent because he's not with you. You're discontent because he's not with you. You're discontent because he's not with you. Why aren't you content? Because he ain't with you. Why is he not with you? Because you've been looking to other gods. And he says, I can't fellowship with that. Can't fellowship with that. That's why when people who don't have a clue where the answer is going to come from, how the bill is going to be paid, <laughs> where the heal is going to come from, can say, I don't know. I don't care. I just know he's got this. He's got this. I'm good with it. In fact, Paul said the same thing. Paul in Philippians, he says, Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in every situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And I can do all things 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, we always read that verse and thought, well, that means I can do anything I put my, myself to. No, no, what Paul is simply saying is this, that even when I have a lot of stuff that tempts me into harmful desires, or when I have nothing at all and I'm asking myself how am I going to make it tomorrow, the fact that I have Jesus' presence with me is all that I need to overcome everything I'm going through. And I thank God for some of us who, who walk that life and lead us and show us that. The problem also is, is that when we are discontent, is that we block what God wants to do next in our life. And so where do we lack contentment? I would ask you, where did you lack contentment at? I've already asked these questions to myself, and I can tell you that a key indicator of discontent is complaining. A key indicator of discontentment is complaining. I know. I've done it, and I've heard it. Complaining reflects ingratitude. When we complain, we reflect ingratitude. So the question I would ask you is this, is that do you spend more time giving thanks or complaining? Or would you come back? Do you spend more time giving thanks or complaining? I didn't mean to preach on you guys so hard. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because I want to I know that when I look out into this audience, I see a people that says, Pastor Scott, whatever comes my way, I don't care. I do care, but I don't care. Because I know that he is with me, and he'll never forsake me. When I visit you in the hospital, when I visit you at home, when you call me, or whatever you're going through in life, here's, what, here, here's where we're going to agree when we pray together. That though he slay me, Yet shall I praise him. Because the fact that I can praise him means that we're in relationship with each other. And regardless of what I go through in life or what I don't have in life or all the stuff that I do have that creates more temptation and, and fallacy in my life, I'm still connected to him. He's connected to me. He said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And that's good enough for me. And so whatever heaviness walked in the spirit, walked in the, the, the room today, I just need you to know this, is that your God is with you. Even when your circumstances lie to you, your God is with you. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in all of it, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving is gratitude. And prayer and supplication says, Lord, I'm going to remind you what your word said. You said that no good thing. You said you will not withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly with you. Can I tell you that contentment is being thankful that you have a God to call on in a moment to be anxious about something. You can be anxious about things to a point, but when that, when that anxiousness creates you focusing more on problems than promises and provisions. And most importantly, our creator, we got issues here. And so my question today as we close is simply this. Are you anxious? Are you anxious today about stuff? You might say, I, I, I'm, I'm anxious because 
I'm struggling to trust the process. Pastor Scott, I know what the provision says, but this process, this process is hard. It's hard. And I'm having a hard time trusting the process. Maybe you're anxious because you lack contentment and you need God to help you be content. You need, you need God to help you be thankful and have a gratuitous heart be, to be grateful in the sense that, that regardless of what happens, you just know that it's okay with your soul. And that is not an easy thing to accomplish in life. Or maybe you're anxious because you need God to clarify where you lack in prioritizing the spiritual over the physical. So here's what we're going to do. The Word tells me, don't be anxious, but in everything, pray. So we're going to pray this morning. Here's how this is going to work. If you're new, I'm going to open these altars up. You can come down here and pray about what I just asked you about, or you can pray about something else. But here's what I know, is that when we're in worship and we raise our hands, this does not mean I'm more spiritual. Raising my hands is simply just really my physical agreeing with my, with my emotional or my intellectual or, or, or my spiritual that I agree that he is who he says he is. It's a physical expression. And this altar is just a physical expression that I need prayer in my life. I don't know anybody in here that doesn't need prayer. And so as I pray and I say amen, if you're feeling anxious, come pray. Come ask God, Lord, I need help with the process. Lord, I need help in clarifying the priorities. Well, Lord, I need help because I'm struggling with this contentment thing. And I don't know how to get to where you want me to be. Father in heaven, I pray as you speak right now to the hearts of many, work on us, Lord. We don't come down to the altar, God, to be, to be changed for five minutes, but Lord, I pray that the work you're about to do in just a few seconds is going to truly be life-changing. Whether that's spiritual salvation, whether that's sanctification, Father, or just reminding us, God, that we have provision and the product is on its way. We need strength for the process, whatever those things are. I ask that you would accomplish it, Lord, here in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you come here?